They say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my heart. You don't know my family background. You don't know me. Like, I'm too far gone. It's too much. Too much does not exist in God's language. That box he cannot fit in. He's way outside of that. See, there's no mess too messy that God can't redeem and fix and dig you out of. Like the world around us, we are frequently placing God within the confines of our own determinations and understandings. God cannot be categorized, nor should we look at others through our biases and determine them unworthy. In a world where being canceled can come at the smallest cost, Jesus looks beyond our circumstances and situations and determines the wealth of our worth by the abundance of His grace. You have joined us for message number 11 entitled, Don't Put God in a Box, of the series, Luke the Gospel Truth. This is Faith Life. And now, Pastor Jared Arnett. After the first service, as I was prepping for this sermon, I've preached almost every Sunday morning for nine years. And uh, this, this passage of scripture, this sermon, for some reason, is the one I've probably wrestled with the most. All right, I don't know what that means. I don't know why. So I was coming into it, and I was thinking, Jared, just don't go too deep on this one. Because last week, you know, I went kind of deep. Y'all held on and came back. It was good. And so I said, just don't go deep. We can't go deep on this one. And so I tried real hard not to go deep, and I was struggling. I mean, I was, I was like 2.30 this morning still reading the scriptures. And going, what are you going to say here? So I get finished with the first service, and uh, one person comes up and says, uh, and says that was one of the best sermons you've ever preached, and um, I don't get that very often, and I didn't feel like it was. Really, I thought, i got to pick another one for second service. You ever been there? <laughs> the next person came up and said, that was so deep. That was so good. Please get I tried so hard not to make it deep, and the one thing I got, I was like, all right, I don't think that was deep, and they said, that was so deep. So here we go. Are you ready? Um, and, uh, and, and so we're going to dig into this thought about putting God in a box. And as I was thinking about this, I was reading the scripture. This is a story of, of John the Baptist really coming into his ministry and being called into ministry. And, um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about him in a minute. But what I, was, what I was thinking about starting this and saying, don't put God in a box is the reality is there is some scripture and guidance, and, and there are boundaries that we can understand and know about God. But we also sometimes put God in our own box or our own category that restricts his real power and who he really is and the truth of who he is and what he means to our life. Okay, And, and, and when we do that, what happens is we begin to separate ourselves and we begin to feel what Jesus promised that he came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. More abundantly doesn't mean bougie. All right? It means more purpose. It means why am I here? It means more fulfillment at the end of the day. It means you have purpose in your life. And so when we begin to put God in a box and restrict him to the things that we think he is or should be or our culture tells us or tradition tells us, then we start to miss the real power of God. Ephesians 3.20, Paul said he's able to do more than we can ask or imagine, yet sometimes we put God into a box. I'm a, uh, and when I say box, I don't necessarily mean like pack him up or moving kind of box, okay, stuffed into a box. I mean like how we categorize things 
in life. Are you with me for a minute? And so we categorize things, and we might put him in one place, and we might say, you know, God is church, and maybe we put him into that category of life, and I'm there on Sundays, and, and that's God. Uh, or, or, or we might say that, that, um, that, that God, that he's a building, he's in a place, and I don't go there, and if I do go there, then I might meet God, but he's not with me when I'm cheering or when I'm wherever else in life, at work. We find that he's everywhere. He doesn't fit in any of those categories. The reality is God just doesn't want to be in one department of your life. He doesn't want to be in the category of just spiritual. He wants to be in all of your life. All of it. Where you work, where you go to school, your relationships, your marriage, your, your, your friendships, relationships with parents and children. God says, I have designed and I want to be in all of that. You don't, don't, please don't just contain me to this, this one experience on Sunday mornings where you go and have church and then you go live. This is the reason we have Faith Life Ministries, which has Faith Life Market. It, it built off Ephesians 2.10 that says we are all God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good things he prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, And so we don't want to put him in that box. And what we have in this passage, I just felt like uh, it, was, it felt like in the context and the culture of this time, they had put God in a box. All right. And so let's just take a, let's just jump in, look at the scripture. Uh, let's read the, the six verses, and then we're going to talk about it uh, for a minute. Luke chapter three, verses one through six. If you've been with us, we've been preaching through the book of Luke. We've gone through the first two chapters. I think this is the 12th sermon uh, in the series. So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Achiria and Trachitidus, and Lasanius, tetrarch of Abilene, and all y'all said, I know why you was up at 2.30 this morning. <laughs> what is that verse? Whew! During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Maybe underline in the wilderness if you have a Bible or you're on your app. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So much in this passage, I, 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 I wallowed it, and here's what God gave me. Three words, just kind of buckets that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Um, First, we're going to talk about a mess, and second, we're going to talk about a ministry, and then we're going to talk about a message. If you're like me, of those three, you're probably going to relate most to the mess, <laughs> all right? You ever feel like you're just in a mess, like life is a mess, like you think you get things figured out, and then it doesn't work out? And so we're going to look at this first passage, and really what you find in this first verse and the second verse of this passage is a mess. 
All these names that are listed here are powerful political leaders, religious leaders of the time. And guess what had happened since the Old Testament? One, Rome had taken over Israel. Foreigners were politically ruling and governing Israel and Jerusalem. Not just rulers, corrupt, cruel rulers. This was a bad time. When Luke wrote this, he didn't say once upon a time like it was a fairy tale. Like, let me tell you about what happened when Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate, like he gives us the dates, probably like 27 AD if you just love history and get so excited about that. Anybody? No. Okay. <laughs> so it's about 27 AD and you got these corrupt politicians, corrupt leaders, it goes on down to say there's two high priests. There's only supposed to be one. These high priests were appointed by Rome. And these high priests were also, they were just doing anything to get their pockets lined. And so you have total, what I would say, darkness. You, you, got, you got darkness. You got, you got corrupt politicians. You've got corrupt religious leaders in the organized church. And God is just looking at it. You've also had silence since the Old Testament, 400 years since the last prophet God spoke through and said, hey, um, uh, eventually there's going to come a Messiah, a king, essentially. He's going to set up a new kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God is going to come. And so for 400 years, the Jewish people have been telling their kids from one generation to the next, we're going to watch for him every day. Eventually the Messiah is going to come. But, I mean, y'all like waiting 400 years for stuff? You like waiting two minutes for stuff? You like it when you're trying to get an app to open and the wheel spins for two seconds? No. So th there's been darkness and silence in this. What If you outside looking in, this is just a hot mess. Okay, culturally. Anybody looked around lately? <laughs> it's a hot mess. There's an added part of this mess, this awesome guy, John, son of Zechariah. He's called John the Baptist. He was not a Baptist in the denomination, okay? Those didn't exist yet. That's another place. We put God in the box. We say Baptist, you know, uh, Pentecostal, you know, whatever our denominations. We'll put him in that box and think only God works in and through those places. I, I want you to just know that the organized church is an attempt to follow and recognize God's work not the other way around, okay? Like God is working through his people, and so we organize a church, and we give it a name because we see God calling people to lead and do things and do activities. The, the local church is not necessarily the authority in deciding what God is doing and who he's calling, okay? And so we, we have this, this situation. John the Baptist is what he's known as. Craziest dude you probably ever would meet absolutely just out there he's told though early in before he was even born the angel comes to his parents and said your son john he's going to pave the way for the messiah the king he is the one prophesied by isaiah that a prophet will come and start announcing that the king is coming and your son's going to be this guy john the baptist you know what john does you know what as a future priest he should have done he should have gone to seminary he should have gone to the temple courts and started studying. At the end of chapter 1 in Luke, it says that he grew strong, he grew and grew strong in the spirit and lived in the wilderness. 
Matthew said this about him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, not Brooks Brothers' camel hair. This was not normal at the time. It was made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food were locusts and wild honey. You know another time in Scripture it mentions what someone's wearing? I'm really asking. I don't think it does. Like there's something significant about John the Baptist that they say, this guy's wearing camel hair. I don't know if you watch the, the Chosen, but Peter calls him creepy. John, you know, like he's like this just guy that's out in the wilderness wearing camel hair clothes and this leather belt and eating bugs, grasshoppers essentially, and honey. John, man, you're supposed to be prophet. What are you doing? This looks like a mess to me. At this time, he's now 30 years old, and the prophecy hasn't come true for him yet. The word of God has not come to him. He's still waiting. It just feels like a mess. See, messes to us are not messes to God. I want you to understand that if you look at your life and you say, it's a mess, I've messed up so much, maybe you're... Maybe your family has experienced divorce, or maybe you've got addiction, or maybe you struggle uh, with some other sin in your life, pornography. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're just struggling. You're just looking at it. You're like, this, is a, this, is a, this looks like a mess. I want you to just know this, that no mess is too messy for God. I don't want you to put God in the box. That you say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my heart. You don't know my family background. You don't know me. Like, I'm too far gone. It's too much. Too much does not exist in God's language. That box he cannot fit in. He's way outside of that. See, there's no mess too messy that God can't redeem and fix and dig you out of. And he does this here. This, this mess looks like a mess to us. It's not really a mess. God's like, all right, it's time. I have it lined up. I have John right where I want him in the wilderness. You know what the wilderness was? It was hundreds of feet below sea level. It was arid. It was basically a desert. One commentator said, essentially, you, it's uninhabitable. In other words, this is where people go to die. <laughs> And in that place of the desert, of the dry, of the unexpected place, not in the organized religion of the people that we're looking to, that that's the box we're going to put God in. He's going to send the Messiah. It's going to come out of there. Nope. Crazy John. Who's crazy John in your life? Who's the person you think is so messy? Like, God could never use them. Because this is important about ourselves. No mess is too messy, but it's also important how we look at other people. How we see other people who may not be the prime candidate right now, but God could use in an incredible way. If you came and found me at 19, I was not the prime candidate. Honestly, if you came yesterday, <laughs> I was not, am not the prime candidate to be a pastor. At 19, you would have found me, and I would have probably been skipping class in college. I probably, if you would have talked to me about God, I said, I don't know about all that stuff. I had no work ethic. I had no dream. I had no, I had no nothing. And yet God decided to use this, this, this 
boy who couldn't figure life out began to reveal himself to me in such real and relevant ways that, that I went from thinking, is God real? And I started studying the Bible, and then I got a study Bible, and I really got it so I know it enough to prove it wrong. Can I be honest with you? And in it, I found something that I'd hungered for to understand, why am I here? What is this world all about? And in it, the harder I pressed it to prove it wrong, I thought, man, this is changing my life. I don't like it, and I close it. <laughs> and I think, I think this might be real. I think this might be right. And, and, and I, I realize, and so that reminds me, when I meet people that are on the streets or I meet people who, who don't believe in God, I love to have that conversation. Love it. You're not going to offend me. Listen, you dig deep. You don't have to throw your brain away to trust in Jesus Christ. But no mess is too messy. See, Jesus came to heal the sick, not the well. See, he left the 99 to find the one that was lost, the outsider. That's who he loves. If you say, I'm an outsider, I don't fit in, that you're, you're right where... God wants you. You are listening to Faith Life with Pastor Jared Arnett from New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is message number 11 of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. Let's continue listening as Pastor Jared Arnett encourages us to refuse to put God in a box. Second thing we see about John here is he has this ministry. Church planners, no business people ever said, go down to the wilderness around the Jordan and start preaching. You'll get a big following there. <laughs> All right? But somehow, John develops a ministry here in the wilderness, in the desert, if you will. And in this place, people start coming from Jerusalem and all of Judea. Matthew says people were coming, and historians think by the hundreds, maybe thousands. And eventually the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders started to hear about this guy, crazy, creepy John out in the wilderness. And they would start going out and they would hear his messages. And I think about even Zechariah, his dad, if he was when he was 25 and his friends came and he said, How's John doing? I know he's supposed to be a prophet. Where is he at? I'd say my dad experienced that when I was 19. Where is Jared? How's he doing? Oh, boy. <laughs> Sit down. And Zachariah would have to say, dude, he is in the wilderness eating grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And maybe John, you know, after several days of grasshoppers, like, God, is this really? You see, there's something about his ministry because... In the wilderness, he found some solitude. He found an opportunity to connect directly with the creator of the universe. The wilderness is not always a bad place. All right? The wilderness where you have nothing else and no other distractions, where you don't even get cell service. Where you find some intentional time one-on-one -on -one with God, we find this happened with John. It says he grew strong in the spirit here. 
Growing strong in the spirit means man, man, he's got some solitude. He's there. He's connecting with God. We find here in, in verse 2 that it says the word of God came to John. That means there was some divine authority here. God began to speak into John's ministry. We also find if he grew strong in the spirit, he probably had some personal integrity that he was living as close to the scripture. He wasn't living into religion. He was living into Jesus. And that's what we need more of in this place, in our community. And so we find him doing that, pursuing God, believing that the Messiah was coming. You remember the stories of John, even when he was in the womb, when Mary walked in and she was pregnant with Jesus, it says John the Baptist began to kick in her belly. He knew the Messiah. He had a special call on his life. So God uses this grasshopper-eating hippie, <laughs> bohemian, for ministry. It was leading into the truth of what Jesus was going to teach his followers and that Paul would teach all throughout the New Testament where he would say, you know what, every believer is part of the royal priesthood. That not only did God save anybody, that everyone he does saves, he gives a ministry. <laughs> like we want to put God in a box and say, all right, Jared and Chris are pastors, they do ministry, we go to church. And yet we find that in 1 Peter chapter 4, God says the Holy Spirit has has gifted every believer with gifts that they are used, should use to serve one another. That means you have a ministry. You have a ministry. You are called to serve others, to take care of one another. And you say, my life is much more mess than ministry. The reality is that God does use you and he uses people like me who don't fit the mold, who may feel like an outsider, but when we get focused on him, we put our trust in him, when we spend time with him, he uses each and every one of us. That means you have a mystery. Maybe I've thought about your life that way. If you've never given your life to Christ, and when you know that you, you, you're not going to find purpose and fulfillment in anything that you do until you are doing it along with God in your life. I want you to see the last thing he shares here. So we see he has a mess and he has a ministry and then we have his message. The first message is in chapter 3. It says he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I, don't, I need to get a little deep in this, but I don't want to. But I need you to know when he's preaching this, this is not the, the baptism that we practice now as Christians where we baptize into Christ. We, we baptize people in the water and it, it resembles or it symbolizes the old person dying and the new coming out and, and being baptized into Christ. It is not what saves us. We are saved when we're baptized in the Spirit. When we, give, when we put our faith in Jesus, you are eternally changed. When you trust Jesus Christ with your whole life, 
you are changed. Then the step of obedience is to get baptized. What John is talking about here, and he begins to do, and it's very controversial because they would baptize Gentiles. That were people who weren't Jews if they wanted to become a Jew. It would be unheard of for a Jew who was God's chosen people, a descendant of Abraham. Like, you got it all. Why would you get baptized? You're going through all the sacrifices. You're doing all the, you're checking the boxes. You're, you're perfect. You're doing religion, all those things. You're dependent upon the priest. You're doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. Why would you get baptized? And John is saying the world is getting ready to get flipped right side up. Okay, the try harder religion that the Jews were experiencing is getting ready to be changed completely. And so he quotes Isaiah, and he says, the, uh, he says, I am the voice calling in the wilderness, saying, prepare a, the way. And what this meant was that a king was coming. All right? When I used to, when I, when I worked full-time before I started doing whatever I do now, three years ago, I worked for three different governors. We would have these events places, and they would always send out an advance team because the governor was coming. It was like, we got to get this place ready. The governor is coming, all right? That meant sometimes we'd meet at the community college, and we'd go in rooms that looked like they'd, nobody had been in them in years, and by two days later, it looked like it was spit shine, right? It's like when you know company's coming over. You pile the clothes in the closet, right, where you can't see them. And so this is what John the Baptist is saying. He's like, I need you to get ready. This would happen in that time if a king was coming to town. He's like, we got to get roads moved. we got to get the town cleaned up. we got to get all this fixed. And so John the Baptist is saying, the king of all kings is about to enter into his ministry. And so as a symbolized, as a precursor to that, he's teaching people that they need to surrender and repent. That they need to turn, they need to change their mind for forgiveness of sins. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That forgiveness of sins, i got to go to the Greek and just let me, let me hang here for a second. Guys, 20 minutes and he just said Greek. <laughs> oh my God, we're never getting out of here. Forgiveness of sins. Sometimes we think, God, you know, I looked at a website yesterday. I shouldn't have looked at Will you forgive me? Sometimes we think, God, I uh, moved the needle a little bit on my taxes this year. Didn't have all the receipts. I don't know. Somewhere close to that. Will you forgive me? Um, sometimes we say, God, I know I cheated on a test or cheated on an exam. God, will you forgive me? Or we say, God, I'm sorry. I thought that thought about the person. I realized how bad I was talking about them. Um, and I know you love them and they're your child. I'm sorry about that. And, and so we, we feel like we have to make the list of the specific sins, and those are good. But what this means here is when he says the forgiveness of sins in the Greek. When we forgive one another, we know, I know, you're rude, you're probably going to say something mean to me again. <laughs> right? 
Like, if I know that example, I, I forgive you, you apologize, I say, it's okay. I know next week you're probably going to be rude again, and we'll just go through this again. You'll say you're sorry, and I'll forgive you again. This is not what it means in the Greek. He says, what is coming? Jesus is coming. He's going to do something that's never been done. You don't have to go back every month. You don't have to keep asking to get forgiven to be saved. This forgiven really meant like a pardon, or it meant release from the bondage of sin, which meant making or hitting the mark. It meant perfection. It meant a bullseye. It means you are released from the burden of having to be perfect. Are you with me for a minute? The totality of our life and how we miss the mark. Do you know the freedom and power that comes from that? That doesn't just free you from, you know, we know the wages of sin or death, and if we got sin in our life and we never let Christ take over, we're not going to heaven. Because the wages of sin are death. And when we put our faith in Christ, it doesn't just save us from the, the penalty of sin, but it saves us from the bondage to it. That in Christ, He can make our minds new and you can overcome the thing you cannot do otherwise. And so He's pointing toward to a Jesus, forward to a Jesus that can do just that. And so if you're saying, My life is mostly a mess, I don't know how I could ever get to ministry. This is really, this is for believers. He said, well, if I, I, you know, I got saved 20 years ago. Do I still need to repent? We find this teaching all throughout Scripture that the gospel is what fuels us all the way to the end. That this constant reminder of the surrender to Christ doesn't keep us saved, but it keeps us in line with his work for what he's called us to do. And, and so this, this path from mess to ministry is simple. It's repentance. Repentance means to turn. It means I'm going to turn away from my sin. doesn't mean I'm going to turn away from going to the wrong websites to not going to the wrong websites. doesn't mean I'm going to turn from drinking to not drinking. It means I'm going to turn from those things to God. The one who knew I could never turn from that and quit on my own. It means complete surrender. To him it means I give you my whole life. You did the thing that I could not do. It means putting our faith in him. It does mean turning away from those things. But it doesn't mean running to righteousness and good works. It means running to Jesus, to God. And so even if you're a believer and you can feel the mess in your life, to get back to ministry and purpose and an abundant life, this is the path. It is complete surrender to him. Celebrate Recovery uses this great acrostic. Turn first means trust. Confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from death. You will be saved. Understand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Repent. 
turn from your sins and act on this glorious news. Repentance, sometimes we think of that as, I should feel sorry for my sins and what I've done wrong. Repentance is way more than a feeling. It is way more than a feeling. It is an action. It is picking your stuff up and running to Jesus and watching him meet you halfway just like the father of the prodigal son and welcoming you home. It means new life. It means things are different now. As the band comes up and we close, I'm going to invite you to think about the category you've put God in, the box you've put him in. Oh, he's just for my other friends that are good people. Oh, God is just church. That means I go to youth group on Wednesday nights and I go to church on Sunday mornings. And if you think about the box you put in, I want you to just open that right now. I don't want you collectively with me to say, God, I don't, I don't want you in that place. I know you're not just for other people. I know you're for me, and I want to receive that, and I want you in every part of my life, and I want to surrender everything I am and lay it all down at your feet and give it to you and trust in you, and I want to find this new life that you've promised. One of the boxes I think that had happened in this story is I think that the people there had traded truth for tradition. They traded truth for tradition. Today we want to run after truth, the way, the truth for life. We're going to run after Jesus. We're going to be a church. We've been nine years, so close to have enough years to have a tradition. Scares the fire out of me. I don't want to do anything because that's the way we've done it. I want to be consistently have a heart to chase after Jesus, to go outside. You see, this message John preached was not just to a certain group. It was to the prostitutes. It was to the destitute. It was also to the self-righteous who thought they were so good because they'd gone to church their whole life, but never had a personal relationship that transformed them from the inside out with Jesus. That's the invitation today. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way you love. Thank you that you leave the 99 to find the one. Thank you that you showed me that I was the one, not the 99, and continue to be the one who needs you desperately. God, we invite you into this place and into these hearts, and we surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Faith Life. Faith Life is a ministry of New Beginnings Fellowship Church located in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can find us on the web at www. 
nbfc.church or look for us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to Faith Life Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms and download each weekly episode. Remember to join us next week as Pastor Chris Bartley delivers the 12th message in our series entitled The Next Right Thing. Again, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week as we walk the faith life.